Hello and welcome back to No Books on a Dead Planet. This is a podcast I created because I feel like contemplating the end of the world is completely impossible to me. Um, But for some reason, the idea that there won't be books in the future scares me enough into action in the way that I should be worrying about the climate crisis in general. But for some reason, it's just about books. This is a book club where you do not have to read the book. We're going to read the book for you. But warning, you might be inspired to read the book at the end of the conversation. This is me chatting about books with the people that I am inspired by and I love and it's a good excuse for me there's nothing more inspiring to me than a deadline so knowing that somebody else is buddy reading the book with me and I have a day that I'm recording the podcast (laughs) means that I actually will finish these climate change books on my TBR that I've been trying to do for a long time today let me situate you in the situation we are sitting in a lovely as you can as you can hear lovely picturesque London park in the spring sunshine with one of my oldest friends although you're not all that old but you are old in 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 terms of our friendship um sarah was one of my first friends in london we've had some hilarious times uh together and i have invited her here today to chat to me about the fifth season um people in the park are loving it i i'm really glad that i'm what i'm serving up to you today people is some atmosphere some ambience that you won't get from a professional podcast with a studio in the background you can hear a beautiful train look at that there's a, a feat of modern engineering going past us right now you can almost hear the, gra- the graffiti. Yeah, you can almost hear the graffiti going on, the art, the, the real art. But yeah, I'm here with Sarah. Thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Thank you. I'm really glad to be here with you today. <laughs> it feels funny to like, be like, and welcome, because we have, in full transparency, we've been talking for about three and a half hours before this point about whatever we like and having a nice little... Yeah, to minimise, um, like, kind of the weirder stuff that might come out if we haven't yeah exactly we've, we've got out all of our weird energy over some drunken noodles quite literally they were called drunk noodles and that's what we're doing so the fifth season is a book that i had heard so much about and when you suggested reading it together because i know you'd read it before and you wanted to reread it i was really like okay this is the deadline i need uh, i'm i really genuinely know nothing about it and i'm not a huge sci-fi reader so i was excited to talk to you about it sarah because i know that you work in games currently yes and we met because you worked in books so you are the person i feel like in my life who you live and breathe the cross-section between like the digital world and like the storytelling world and i was just like yes this is the perfect book um, but if people don't know you which they may not which is rude of them that is that is your fault that's on you guys tell us a little bit about who you are okay <laughs> I uh, so- it feels very formal i'm very bad when i'm being like formal with people i know really well um yeah so i'm sarah as lena said we've We've known each other for ages, since our early days of being baby book people. Baby book people! Um, And now we are grown up, fancy people of lots of different spheres. I work at an indie game studio that makes a game for kids called Adopt Me. But I still have my feet, like, in the book world for various things. And actually that's part of how... That was one of the reasons I first came to read this book. uh, Which was, like, actually I first read it during lockdown like the, the first days really? of lockdowns yes that is bold yes what a bold lockdown read yeah i mean i was i i you know i hear like people some people like read less during that period so we read more um i read more mostly because i needed to not totally like i needed to like delay my doom scrolling mm. until like after midday <laughs> you were like instead of doom scrolling i'm going to read some narrative yeah, I, was like, doom. I was like i will read Do you know what i need some cli-fi <laughs> yeah. some real end of the world shit <laughs> yes and when you were talking about this podcast this came up because i didn't mm. think of it as cli-fi before i read it what i knew about it was that it was something unusual to me like in the sort of sci-fi fantasy mm. area of publishing like it was it was a sci-fi book that wasn't white centered yes (laughs) and that was that was kind of all i really knew about it and that like nk jemison had won like multiple she won the hugo award for for, for, like first best novel or something and And like and i think she won an award like major awards for this is like part of it this is part of the broken earth trilogy and she won major awards for like every single book and i'm just like yeah she won she broke loads of records for it as well didn't she so i think that's interesting as well, and that you've, you, I, in my mind, you've read way more sci-fi and fantasy yeah. than I have, but I think that bar is quite low because I've barely read any. Yeah, I think my, I think, yeah, like I, when we talked about that, I was like, oh, have I? I'm working in video games. I'm surrounded by people who really love high fantasy. I'm surrounded yeah. by people who've read, you know, like Dune and like loads of Discworld books. And mm. um, I actually think that 
it hasn't really been since my childhood that I read a lot of fantasy. When I was a kid, I read, you know, Tolkien. I read Tolkien before the movies came out. Oh, wow. Um, you were there at the beginning. I was there at the beginning. A Victorian <laughs> fantasy fan. Yeah. Um, I love that you can see us lose your friends. Back before I understood that I didn't automatically have an equal position in this world, mm. I was very happy to um, unquestioningly read fantasy books by authors who I didn't really notice all happened to be men. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, no, realizing that now, and that the sort of and the fa- the, and that the sci-fi, fantasy, and many other genres yeah. in books are dominated by white male voices. These days, when I read, it takes a lot for me to read a book by. A white male author? Yeah. You're redressing they the balance. Re- they really have to win me over. <laughs> There's yeah. a high bar they have to clear. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just need to, yeah, I need to redress the balance and just spend the rest of my life um, taking on different perspectives than yeah. <laughs> I took for granted. And maybe when you're in your 80s, it will start leveling out and you'll be like, okay, I think I've read about I, 50, I think, 50. I think, yeah, maybe I can read some more Tolkien. Maybe I can read Dune. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I think that I, yeah, I don't think I... I don't think I've read that much deep sci-fi fantasy mm. books, really, especially as an adult. I'm, I think that I like, as a reader, I like things to feel easy and accessible. Yeah. And I do think that the complexities of the worlds in science fiction and fantasy can sometimes take a while to penetrate. Mm. <laughs> um, and I want to read a book and I want it to like grab me and like cozy me up and wrap me in a blanket. I like kind of want to know that it's going to do that somehow before I've started reading it as well I'm just yeah. I'd like as I, I've noticed like as a kid like I would just read everything yeah like everything indiscriminately I could, you every, weren't like this is how I want to feel so I'll pick this everything up like, I, everything, I'll have it everything I could get my hands on every single book in the house I read a biography an autobiography by George Best and I don't even like football <laughs> but it was you were like it's a book it was actually quite good like I mean I enjoyed it enough yeah um yeah so I was a very indiscriminate hungry reader and but these days I like am much more picky and I need more from it like yeah, right that away makes sense. so you didn't go into the fifth season the first time you read it thinking oh I want to read something about climate <laughs> you were just kind of more like we want some fantasy that isn't by white men I was intri- I'll have it <laughs> yeah I was just I was very intrigued by N.K. Jemison just because I think her name kept coming up mm. and actually I think she suddenly kind of burst onto this literary scene like about 2015 which is like when I had my first child which is also like a pop cultural wilderness for me mm. like there'll be things that have come out and I'll be like oh they came out 2015 and 2016 which means I yeah was the year paying, of the child I wasn't paying a huge amount of attention that's only fair <laughs> um so I was intrigued by her and the amount of kudos she got and the way that she was doing this within um a genre that isn't known for having a lot of diverse voices in it so mm. I just was I, I was just curious. You were just curious. When I, I was interested as well because I came at it from the perspective of people who were like, this is climate fiction. You need to read it. And I went into it and I was like, wow, it is about climate fiction. It is a climate book, but I think that it's more centered around the characters and what they're experiencing when it comes to weather rather than it being something that really has like a very evangelical thing to say about climate. Yeah. It almost feels like that stuff naturally occurs because why wouldn't it and then it made me think okay the sci-fi and fantasy that i do know about and have read why doesn't climate come up more because if you're going to write a book set in the future scientifically that's probably like one of the only things that's definitely going to come up yes (laughs) as humans like so like why don't i know they're they're always i don't know they just kind of have this assumption almost that either we're going to fix everything with technology yeah or that we yeah like oh like I mean, it, it's it's very cute. Like um, mm-hmm. you know, in the '80s, they were they started being very concerned about like var- the environment. You mm-hmm. know, like um, don't step on our planet, and yeah. you know, green stuff mm. became more popular. And then like in Back to the Future, he's like, oh, don't worry, like we figured out how to turn like rubbish into like <laughs> fuel. <laughs> so we and everybody agreed. <laughs> and not only did we develop the technology, all the politicians green lighted it, <laughs> and they kind of took the financial hit for us. Yeah, no, it's like, what we wanted. Now to do. that's the kind of fantasy that I can't yeah, get. Yeah, like, like that's wild fantasy, sir. So yeah, no, I think it's interesting that it 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 to me it's a climate book, but by omission from because of everybody else omitting it do you know what i mean i'm like this this should be the circumstance of a lot of 
uh, books set in the future, whether you class them as sci-fi or fantasy or whatever. But it, but it seems that they're just not as often. So I think that yeah, I don't know. I was surprised in a good way that I, it made me think more about the genre that it sits in and what I know about it, rather than it being something that's like Message shove heavy. it down your throat. Yeah. Like this is going to be you in ten thousand years or something. So you should be acting on it now. It's it's definitely not a preachy book. It's something that's quite immersive and, and definitely like character driven. Because you were telling me that the author is a psychologist. Yes. Yeah. Which is really interesting. I'm like psychologist or like psychotherapist yeah or psychiatrist somebody who has studied the, sci- the psychs Psych- the psyches <laughs> she's a psyche lady so and 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 that makes a lot of sense in retrospect now you told me that as well because i feel like also oh, this is gonna be really ironic if that that gray cloud comes and gets us <laughs> because <laughs> i feel like, like being like having a podcast about the weather be disrupted by the weather would be very poignant yeah, it was i sunny. kind of want it to happen anyway if you can't see it on the podcast but there is a huge gray cloud coming towards us and quite an ominous a sudden chill in the air yeah <laughs> Do you think there's do you think there's, an, there's an origin there? Yeah. Oh my rust. <laughs> Rusting. Um, yeah. One of the things about the book, but we're going to tell you what the book is about, by the way, in a second. Hold your horses. But one of the funny things about the book is that they replace the word "fuck" with "rust" because rust, I am assuming, is one of the worst things that can happen mm. in a climate. Um, tenuous a climate vulnerable world yes (laughs) because everything's always flooding and rusting yes um so i just find it funny that they're like what the rust yes (laughs) we're your whole rusting future (laughs) (laughs) so that's my new censored swear word (laughs) for all contexts uh next time i see your children that's what i'm gonna use instead of fun you're like rusty (laughs) and until they read the fifth season i'll be completely without sin i think you've got about 10 years it's gonna be great 15 years maybe (laughs) okay I i can work with that um so if you haven't read the book yet um, we're going to chat about it but we'll only do a little spoiler section at the end so yes. we will we will gossip about the spoilers but generally we'll we're just going we're going to tell you stuff that that won't ruin it for you if you if you read it um, but basically the fifth season the f- which is the first of the trilogy is set on this kind of supercontinent called the stillness which as you start reading the book you realize is a very sarcastic name because it's nothing but still it's a continent where they do have seasons but they often have this thing called what they call the fifth season which is when there's there's a kind of almost completely all in all encompassing extinction of humans so it's something that, that they they're used to in the way that you can get used to any kind yeah. of climate like catastrophe na- natural disaster but sometimes human triggered natural yes disaster. um and it happens so often that most civilizations within that on that continent are only a couple of hundred years old would you say or like some some only last yeah a couple of decades yeah and that's quite normal um, so a lot of the people who live in these societies don't have a massive awareness of what's come before <laughs> because things keep getting wiped out. Yes. Would you say that's fair? Yes. They ha- they're very distant from mm. like recorded history. Yes, definitely. And they, I, we were talking about how we think it is set in this world because they do vaguely reference our world but it's very vague and distant and distant and they call us the ancient people which yeah. we you know everyone's going to be ancient at some point i can accept that as a label <laughs> i am what well, I, I i can happily identify as ancient at yes. some point yeah <laughs> and part of the part of the kind of like cataclysm of the book is that there are these types of humans called origins or are you saying a different word origin origins. Okay, you know what like i don't know Origins. This Origins. is what happens when one of you reads the physical book and one of you reads the <laughs> origin. We're going to have Origins. a Hermione Hermione situation. Yeah. yeah. Origins. Anyway, there are these people um, that have like a natural ability to feel the earth and on some, if they're trained, control the earth. Yes. Not to the point where they can fix climate change. Lol, that would be great. But there won't be a book then. <laughs> but they can still earthquakes and they can clear things clear things and while in some ways it felt a little bit post-racial it's definitely not it's just that the like um humankind's relationship to race has really changed yes <laughs> in a radical way yes so we were talking about how the origins are, are on paper the most powerful group of people but they are it's not necessarily inherited so it's not like they're not like a dynasty yeah their power comes from is uh, tied to like their biology mm. they're born with it it is genetic but you if if uh, two origins have a baby it's likely that they will have a baby origin yeah but not certain yeah it's kind of like ginger hair yeah you yeah. can skip a generation we don't know we don't know um it's not quite the same as race but what is interesting is that there are like racial dynamics within those 
groups and also it seems like they are the most powerful people but they're also the most oppressed because of their power yeah and people have recognized that that power is something that they can exploit and this, you were talking about kind of like social warfare what did yes, you call like it psychological warfare. psychological like they warfare. referred to like there is um, an empire, a race that they keep referring to as like the superior race, the Sansed. Like either it's Sansed. Mm. Did they say Sansed on the audio? I think but, so, yeah. Okay. I was like, is it Sansed's or Sansed? We'll go with Sansed. Sansed. They keep calling about the Sansed Empire and the Sansed. And they obviously, they, they, they think of the Sansed as like the most superior. So people will be like, oh, they look Sansed. Yeah. Or um, they don't look Sansed or not enough sans in them yeah you know sans is the ideal uh, racial uh, class yeah the ideal class and the kind of i guess the racial characteristics they want to protect Mm. i also got the sense that yeah the racial dynamics or the yeah the dynamics are kind of are tied to the origin the power Mm. to connect with the earth and control it like either like having that power um, naturally, um, not having it, being resistant to it, or being able to control the people who have it. Yes. Like, uh, there's like, you know, a race of people called like guardians. Mm. From the book, like, it did appear that most of the characters were dark skinned. Still looking at the map, they, they refer to the Arctic. It's quite hard. I cannot, I, I'm not great with geography, anyways. Yeah. I'm like, what is this continent? <laughs> is it a version of one of the continents? It must be, but yeah. like, you know, um, I can't tell which it one It feels is. like something you might find out in the, in the later books. Yeah. Mm. It, it very much felt to me like it wasn't, it definitely is so clearly part of a trilogy. Like it's not one of those beginnings of a trilogy that could just be a book on its own and then they added some It books. ends I'm on like, a cliffhanger. This, yeah, if it, it's on a pretty solid cliffhanger. And, um, and we don't know what happens. Y- we don't know. So, so <laughs> w- w- if you're listening to this and you've read the trilogy and you're like shaking your fist at the sky, like, no, we know where that continent is, then, then good, tell us. But yeah, I think it's really interesting. And it also follows three characters-ish. Female um, characters. Three female characters who are all origins and are all at different stages of their life and having their origin powers exploited yes. in various ways. Yeah, like we open with a character in a very tragic, like the most tragic scene. And it's mm. not too much. It's not a spoiler because the book it says really it. really opens the, it. The yes. book says it on the back. If um, it's on the blurb, it's fair game. It, it opens <laughs> with a character who's infant son has been murdered by her husband mm. and her older child a daughter is missing yeah with the husband ostensibly. Yeah. so we open with that scene it seems that she's been living hiding she's been power. passing yeah she's been passing she's in been a very ha- nella larson kind of way she's yeah. been passing as a normal inverted commas yeah she's been having a normal without normal power existence yeah. for some time but something has happened it seems like her child has mm. the origin Originally, yeah, and that might be part of the reason mm. that we come to this scene in the book and yeah. we start to unravel it. And it's interesting to read about because it's also kind of about the fact that this character has so much power that it's dangerous to have that much power. So she has to hide it by pretending that she has no power. Yes. because she knows that if people find out that she is powerful, she'll lose her life. Yes, or all of her power. So yeah. it's a very like meta power situation that I think maps onto race. Yes, quite interestingly, the most powerful the most oppressed yeah. and beca- because a lot of societies have been taught to hate origins for no particular reason it would seem <laughs> uh, also maps onto race and this idea that because they are they're powerful they should be feared and there's a lot and i think that crosses over with with racial discrimination because we're often races that are we're taught to we're, we're taught to be prejudiced against they're painted in a caricature way as being more physically powerful or being dangerous in some way. Yes. And that's why the, the, that's why that the rest of society should fear them. And I think that that's, I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that's directly like on, on purpose by the writer. Yes. And she opens, have you got the book with you? She opens on a, yeah, let's pull it out. I want to, I want to read the first <laughs> page because she, she opens with a quite powerful kind of intention before the book starts sorry Sarah I'm just making you no don't worry um, scramble in your bag for it I did a really big a really silly thing as well which shows me as a sci-fi noob because I listened to this book in audio and then I realised I'm missing the, the I'm missing the rusting map <laughs> and the map would have been really helpful so I'm, if you do um, read this book please get the physical copy because I need the map and the glossary it opens with would you call this an epigraph an epigraph by, by herself it's her own word. yes <laughs> Um, for all, I'm like, I know fancy book words and how to use them correctly. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, 
for all those who have to fight for the respect that everyone else is given without question. Yeah, so I think it is intentional yeah. in that way that I'm just like, yeah, it's it's interesting. And also that it's this, I was thinking about prejudice in uh, like, and how it intersects with jealousy. Cause I was thinking about how like, we don't talk about climate change that much because we're quite disconnected from nature as a thing. Yes. And these origins are people who are so connected to nature all the time they naturally can, they feel the earth yeah whereas i imagine if i was just like a normie living in this world i'd feel really disconnected i'd feel like i was living at the whims of nature and i was disconnected from it and it was this powerful being that was actually probably evil and almost this kind of jealousy of being of, of this 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 group of people who are naturally at one with the world and because that's so alien to me i'd like you know i'd resent them <laughs> in yeah. some way you know and, I, and they're necessary yes. like they're they're needed like without them they're like the difference in this like world where I mean they call them comms like comms are like usually like cities villages mm. um, but like a large city could have loads of comms basically you know because of the precarious nature of the world they don't survive very long yes. you know and an origin doing their thing could be the difference between their society getting to last yeah or not you know past a season yeah and so it's, I think it's about the fear of power as well as like the characters reclaiming their power and I, I think also like it's interesting when it comes to thinking about presently what might make this this fantasy book become actually like a predictive future book. Yeah, is that that is that relationship to power and like power dynamics and stuff? Did you pick up as well? You, well, you've read it twice, so you probably picked <laughs> up on, that they they call they call nature Father Nature, or they give him like male pronouns. Oh, instead of Mother Father Earth. Yes, Father Earth. That's what it was. And it's kind of again like that changes. Like I'm like. Okay, so our relationship to Earth at the moment is we call her Mother Earth because she's, like, friendly and maternal is looking after us. Yeah, and Father is more unkind, unpredictable. Yeah, or, like, punishing, yes. almost. And I, I, I kind of think it's interesting because I feel like I, the society that we live in kind of already treats it like Father Earth, even though we're like, Mother Earth, Mother Nature. But I'm like, but we, we're really... And also it's like the gender of nature changes depending on how we feel we're being treated. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a, such a human-centric, like... <laughs> Which is interesting as well because they do also... I think they they play with gender. I think you're invited to make assumptions when you come into certain... When you meet characters mm. and when you, you encounter, like, a particular dynamic. So, you yeah. know, the beginning is, yeah, the, the character who's, like, lost her, her child and mm. a lot of the each of the there are three main characters and each of them you kind of meet them with another person mm. and you see their dynamics to them and the other it's the main character's woman and the other person is often male mm. um, and I think in each of those relationships the dynamics might not be what you expect yeah so the first character is the one the mother mm -hmm. the second is cyanite cyanite yeah. um Esun is the mother Esun is the mother yeah the cyanite oldest. yeah and then cyanite is in the middle of her life i'd say 30s 40s yeah i'd say Maybe like late. i'd say late 20s okay. early 30s okay and then the third one demaya mm. is a, is a teenager yeah we meet her when she's 16 or yeah something, I think. um and Essen, Essen's husband isn't like an active, mm. but he's mentioned, mm. and she interacts with like the one member of the com that she's in who actually knows the truth about her. Mm. And then the second one, it's cyanide, and she is on a journey with uh, an older origin who has ten rings, which means that he's super powerful and experienced. Hot. Called Alabaster. <laughs> I uh, would love there to be a film because I really think I would fancy Alabaster. Yeah, Maybe that's uh, something to do with my fucked up relationship with power, but I'm like... I know, you're like... Hot for ten, Alabaster. Ten, Alabaster and the Ten Rings. <laughs> ten out of ten. Um, and he's older, more experienced. He's sort of a mentor to her. Yeah. As things go on, you kind of see he's actually the softer, yeah. more vulnerable. Like He has member. a moment that is very... What well, I would liken to um, the Dirty Dancing moment where Patrick Swayze is like, no, baby, they used me. They used me! <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh wow, you are actually, yeah, okay, fair enough. You are a soft, sweet man. Yeah, um, we can we can still be oppressed within a, a, a power dynamic in which we, from the outside, look like the most powerful one. Yes, yes. Fair, fair play to you, Alabaster or Basti. Basti, Baster, <laughs> Bas Baster, you Basta, Alabaster. And then yeah, the third one is Demaya, and mm. we meet her in a very fraught situation, like yeah. Essen, where she's being held, she's been kind of 
imprisoned by her parents. I would call the NSPCC. Yes. <laughs> um, I'd call Childline on this. <laughs> and then somebody comes to get her called mm-hmm. Sheffa mm-hmm. and... I'd like to call him Bad Hagrid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he basically he basically comes in as like, Demaya, you're a wizard, but uh, it's not good news from here. Yeah, There's no is, Hogwarts. This is her realising her power. Yeah. Um, and she does go into training. He takes her to, yeah. to the, I guess, the version of Hogwarts, like rock Hogwarts. Yeah. <laughs> Hogwarts under the reign of Umbridge. But yeah. if there was like a PTA of Umbridges as well. Yeah. The fulcrum. Yeah. So it's a place where they round up people from all over oh my god fulcrum because they get all the crumbs off the table they're the fulcrum the fulcrum they get all the crumbs yes oh my god that's so deep yeah they they take um all these i guess origins and it seems like they're all teenagers doesn't it yeah yeah there's no children yeah they've emerged it's almost like it emerges in adolescence Mm. um perhaps or can't be controlled Although, like they say, the power is present as soon as they're born, and that yeah. newborns are capable of uh, stilling earthquakes if, yeah. they, if they if they need to. It's just about control. Yeah. But um, yeah, she gets picked up by Bad Hagrid or Shaffa, and she. It seems like she's some. She's like aware of, you know, this thing where like a person comes and picks up an origin mm. and I think there's like some words like child eater or I don't know there's some there's, yeah. some, there's some like scary words like attached to him but she actually fi- she finds as they travel away from her family home together mm. that like he's like kind and like, it, it, it's quite conflicting because like he's sort of treating her with more respect and kindness than her yeah. her family has but the bar was on the floor so when he treats <laughs> her with kindness I'm like yes, yes. you should although like it seems to me, but I, I even like, I mean, I read it twice, but um, mm. the second reading, I could pay more attention to the dynamics. It seemed to me that she had, it was only, it was only recently that her family had started treating her like this. Yeah, because they found they out turned, she was They turned, they switched, they turned on her yeah. when her originy became apparent. And as she starts to understand more about her power, she starts to see more from their point of view why they... Mm, why they're scared of her. Yeah, and that yeah. mirrors, you know, the first woman that we meet who is trying to come to terms with this horrible thing that her husband mm. has done to their family. Yeah, and trying to like work out what fear would drive somebody to do that. Yeah, and switch. Because again, yeah. when she describes her husband, he sounds... I mean, she married him. She married him. And he, it's not one of those societies where sa- you have to marry people. It sounds like they had a night, kind of like a sort of sort of rustic. Yeah. <laughs> not in um, a bad way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, not like, what the rust. Um, a, a nice like family life together. She describes like mm. their routines. Yeah. yeah. What I what I really loved about the book and, and because you're telling me that she's the author studied psychology, Nora, is that her name? Nora. Name? Nora. I don't know. No, her, are we about, I, I love the name I, Nora. I like call NK? Her Nora. Like, NK. Um <laughs> she studied psychology, which makes a lot of sense because I feel like even though it's quite a unbelievable book in some ways, because so much kind of sublime in the traditional sense of sublime as in like dramatic stuff happens that it's hard to picture it but then this psychologically it feels really real like the way characters react mm. to trauma the way characters interact with each other when the stakes are really high all of that feels really real all the body language and yes. like the yeah the way people react and the tension you can feel mm. it but it's also unpredictable yes. like people are unpredictable mm. and then that's kind of they're living in an incredibly unpredictable world where the yeah. lack of predictability means that people die yeah like, like cities that comms are wiped out in a moment yeah um and everything you love is lost and the one of the um conversations in the climate movement is is that like sometimes from a western perspective we're like in the future we might lose towns whole towns will be underwater <laughs> and then everyone else is like um that's already happening <laughs> yes this is that's not a future event for us that's a past and present yeah exactly so I think that's interesting as well. And you were talking as well when we were texting about like you living in Indonesia and yes. you feeling like that's added something to your perspective about reading. Yeah, because I lived in um, I lived in Jakarta, and actually while I was there, I experienced an earthquake. <gasps> I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, oh, like I when I lived in Jakarta for a couple of years, I was like the most aware of um, climate change than I have ever been in my life because mm. you could feel it. There was really? the you know, there was extreme weather that devastated, like, communities in Indonesia and in neighboring countries. 
not to act in natural disasters, but yeah, like I was working at a newspaper and I was sitting in an, I mean, the thing is, like before I'd experienced an earthquake, I was like, like when I'd hear about them happening, like in California or something, I'm like, oh my God, that just sounds like so fun. <laughs> like imagine the whole world shaking. That would be, <laughs> that sounds great. I know that's really weird. I think, I think that's a really weird thing. Maybe I can blame on watching too many disaster films. In the it's the romanticism of Hollywood. It's not, just, it's not your fault. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember being in the office and just suddenly, I feel like I almost might have got a message about it before I felt it. Like, oh, really? like are you okay? And I'm like, like, why yeah, am I not like, okay? Why? And then, are you and, okay? And then suddenly, like, there was this weird feeling where the whole building moved. And I'm like, did everyone... <laughs> and then they, like, and then I looked on Twitter and then, like, everyone was... Um, this was back when Twitter was a bit different than it is now. and um, In the before times. And, and it operated... It was a different season of Twitter before the fifth season. Of, we're in the fifth season of Twitter We're in the right fifth now. season of Twitter. That <laughs> but you could see an, an Indonesia, and maybe still is, but at the time was one of the biggest users of Twitter. Mm. So lots of people were tweeting about what was happening. Um, and I'm like, maybe I shouldn't be looking at this and I should just leave because I didn't have a smartphone so I was like I'm just gonna like stop looking at this and actually leave the building yeah yeah and we walked and we left the building we had kind of like a fire you know drill situation and then I think like after time we went back in but it had more effects the impact was felt outside of the sea more but I mean that was the first time I I really felt the earth move and I was like like yeah it's it's very disorientating you're really reminded of like just yeah (laughs) <laughs> when I've thought about like the whole we we avoid talking about tra- climate change a lot, I always think about that game. Um, the floor is made of lava. Did yeah. you ever play that as a kid? Yes. You have to, like jump over <laughs> yeah. sofas and you have to avoid the floor. Like basically, you lose the game if you stand on the floor. And um, it made me feel like that. Whereas like when we talk about the earth, we're literally just talking about the floor. Like I'm like the f- the floor can move. That's the thing that can happen. And I feel like we treat the floor or earth like air. We're just like oh, it's always going to be there. <laughs> Yeah, we're kind of like, we're the ones moving around and doing things and doing things to it and yes. in control. And you stay still, Earth. Yes. <laughs> we'll stand on you. Yeah, like it feels like it's like the background to us. Yes. You know, in this world of of the fifth season, the world is not in the background. People mm. are, cons- it's very at the forefront. People are at the mercy of it every moment. Yeah. Um, they can't forget. Like they can't mm. just, they, they don't they're like fighting to survive a lot of people i say i, I guess i mean the top percentage mm. of people <laughs> um get to be quite distant from the concept of survival yeah you know like mm. we're kind of cozied in, mm. in, in it we it's actually interesting that like something i find mi- like missing with a lot of climate change conversations now that i'm not in indonesia anymore is that I don't think that um, the impact of it on the global south is recognized enough. Yeah. So, like, I am very... <laughs> you can take this part out if you like. Um, I, I love a part of it. Tell me more. I, am, I get quite upset um, when people talk about, like, not having children and lo- tie it to climate change. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, not having children is absolutely fine. And I think that it's, you know, reproductive rights are super important that everybody who doesn't want to have a child shouldn't have a child and that everybody who wants to have a child I would hope that they can have a child yeah. you know like whether through birth or adoption mm. you know I, I I find that really important but I think to tie it to climate change is it seems to make sense on the outside but actually like underlying it is like white supremacy because yeah. the global south is the most impacted by climate change yeah there tend to be bigger families. Mm-hmm. When I was pregnant, um, overdue in fact, with my first child, I decided to go to Avery Stone Circle. I don't know why. A what circle? Avery Stone Circle. It's like a smaller version of Stonehenge. Oh, okay. Um, cool. <laughs> um, I just, I was like 10 days overdue. Cool. My midwife told me not to do that, but I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just had to, I just had the need to go when you know, you know. I you need to, to be I, to a stone I, circle. You I, just got to go. It's I, like going to the toilet. You just I, need to go to I had a stone to go, circle. I had to go to a stone circle and I was wandering around and I encountered a sheep farmer. Okay. He like asked me like, like how, like when baby was doing them like 10 days ago and he went, oh, like, don't worry though. Like I've 
I've like given birth to loads of lambs. Like I've helped like loads of sheep give birth, and so it'll be. Fun. I've been elbow deep in a sheep before, love. <laughs> yeah, Don't it, worry. It, it, it'll be fine. It's probably easier for you. And I'm like, yeah. And then like, and then for some reason he decided to immediately. And you know, we had quite a nice chat, and he managed to reassure me that if I, you know, did end up going into labour, that I would be in safe sheepy hands okay. um, but then he just immediately switched to like how he felt that like brown people needed to stop having so many children oh, wow. yeah oh, wow. you know like that that they were the problem that okay. they that they were overpopulate that you know that global you know that the real problem was overpopulation and and they were the they were the ones doing it and I'm like Farmer's not? man. I was like, was like can you not tell that I'm like from a farmer that is very I mean, I'm sure that he was an hundred percent plant based farmer who doesn't Yeah. And I was like, cows. yes, my mum does have eight siblings, but like that's not the point, sir. <laughs> but what are the what's the climate footprint of those eight siblings? Probably a lot less. Yeah. You know. That's the thing. I, I yeah, I agree and I think also that there is this like resignation to being like oh the world's gonna end so i'm not gonna have children it's unkind of me to have children there's yeah. no hope uh, whereas i'm like if you want to have children and even if you don't want to have children i'd like there to be another generation yeah why don't you make sure that it would be nice for them it sounds like a kind of like oh well i can't really fix that so i'm just gonna i think everyone should opt out rather than me being like a personal yeah. i'd like to opt out because i'm going to contribute in these other ways it's like i'm just not gonna like just count it, it feels like a way to not have the conversation Yes, I you know, um, and it feels like an appropriate conversation in 2070, but it doesn't really feel like a appropriate um, response in 2023. You know? Yes, yeah, like <laughs> it's I, a bit early to be that. And you, and you don't you don't need a you don't need like a really grand important reason for not wanting children. No. Whatever reason you have is fine. Yeah. Um, I yeah, like I mean, I like to have a grand reason for why I do not drive yet, which is that I think it is my gift to the universe to not drive uh, yeah, because I too. think that I would be a danger. Um, so, yeah. but, but I'm like, so maybe maybe like we're just trying to stay out of trouble out here. Maybe I've just channeled it. Women who can't concentrate and have a deep fear of any big conglomerate bit of metal that likes to move through the earth really fast. Like I I think that's a rational fear. Yeah. And I can't, hand, I can't handle the heat, so I'm getting out of the kitchen. Yeah, maybe that's where I'm channeling my, yeah. my need to have big reasons for the things that yeah. I, I don't, I'm, I, I have, I'm not doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, also like, I'm not cutting any of that out. I don't know if you want to be cut that out. I think that's all going. In. Yeah, that's fine. I think like it's because um, that oh, that that often comes up when they're talking mm. about things you can do. They're like, the best thing you can do is not have children. I'm like. Mm. we need we, we yeah. need a future and and even if you're not going to have them like we should i'm supporting the thanks for having two yeah. on my behalf i thank you <laughs> <laughs> you've done you've done my work <laughs> you're um, welcome yeah i i i think that the idea of like inheritance is something is, is a reason why people have kids um, because it's this idea of like wanting somebody to inherit things and i think that it's as important to think about what they're inheriting as well as just like the idea of like, oh yeah, I'm gonna have another generation so they can inherit stuff from me and my name and my face. And I'm like, yeah, cool. But also, let's think about what house they're gonna they're gonna inherit and what earth they're gonna inherit. Yes. What what is, what is what you're passing on? What is that standing on? Like, how sound is that? We're actually getting rained I, on right now. We, we might be. <laughs> how waterproof is this? Is so, this is so. Uh, well, I guess we're about to find out. Yeah, we might have to move. Okay. okay. We'll, we'll pause, pause that. Pause, pause that. And, and, okay. So in a true feat of much legendary community, community that I thought had died. Me and Sarah have just walked into uh, this place called Hanbury House, which is a co-working space that we've never been to before. That looks really cool. And we just walked up to the man and we were like, hi, this is our predicament. We need to finish this podcast. And he showed us to this store cupboard that we're now sitting in, surrounded by Christmas decorations and um, paper cups. <laughs> and we're going to finish the podcast recording here. So yes. if it sounds better than it did in the park, that's why. <laughs> Yeah, I'll try not to knock over these. Yeah, but I think it's quite poignant that we were interrupted by weather. Yeah. I think that, like, Father Nature was making himself heard. Yeah, we could not, the environment did not fade into the background. It came, (laughs) like in the book, it It, came to the forefront. Main character energy from British weather today. (laughs) Love it. Um, So, to get back on track, we're going to do a five-minute spoiler section where we just get to blurt our feelings about some of the twists that happen in the book you can skip forward about five minutes but i'll put the specific timestamps in the description if you want to be precise about it but now we're going to let out all our feelings about that 
Okay, Sarah, when, okay. when did you work out that they were three characters instead of one character? They're one character instead of three. That they're all the same character. Yes. So if you if you don't know and you just want to listen to the spoilers because you're that kind of like sadist kind of reader, um, all of the three characters we explained are actually one person who has so many traumatic experiences. They keep having changed their name and changed their life every decade. Yep. They are. They have had three like this is like three eras of their life. Yeah. This is the same person at different stages of their life. And the the earlier two stages when she's younger are told in past tense and then you the only clue is I guess that I didn't pick up on is that the oldest person's perspective is told in present tense yeah present um second person kind of like a computer game not that I know that much about computer games you do this you do that and now you see that he's on the floor you go up to see if he's okay like it's all very video gamey even yes. though I don't really, I don't know that much about yeah. video games. From but what you, know, you understand a video From what game. I understand about them, they're told in yes. present tense. And when there's little paragraphs that come up and they're like, they oh yeah. They put you right in that person's perspective. Yes. The, the, yeah, you're the you. So that was the only clue, but I didn't pick up on it. And I, I didn't know until it was very explicit. So I did something that I recommend you do not do. Um, although maybe you have done it if you were listening to the spoiler section. And maybe this advice is not necessary if you are listening to the spoiler <laughs> But anyway, um, I, I unfortunately spoiled this really big revelation for myself because I became very curious about the language and Kay Jemison is using throughout the book. And I started Googling the meanings of words because um, cyanite is, I think, like a, a, I think it's like a form of stone or like... Gem. I'm sure that there's probably like a essay somewhere that somebody's written about the use of names and naming conventions in the fi- the f- the fifth yeah, the season because that... it feels like all of the names probably have a meaning. Yeah, like there's that like a, and... yeah, everyone's like yeah, cyanite, alabaster. They're mm. like things to do with material, like you know, natural materials. And so I was like, oh, what is cyanite? What does cyanite look like? Google cyanite. Like one of the first things that come cyanite. Also, Demaya and Essen in, in, in the fifth season. I was like, what? What? And Damn it. It was like a hundred pages. So you got spoiled really early. I, I spoiled myself before. And when I reread it, I was like, would I have figured this out? And I don't I think I would I wish I'd have known because I think that if I reread it, which I might. Yeah. I did enjoy it. So I might reread yeah. it. You never know. I think, I, I think I'd enjoy it more knowing that, even though I know it's a spoiler. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was amazing because I think mm. like she does a good job obviously since i don't think i could have you didn't work it out until she i didn't work it out until she said it explicitly i didn't work out until i did googling do not google while you're reading books in general i don't Mm. think you should wait till afterwards i'm just a naturally curious person which is something i like about you yeah it's obviously a bit of a problem when it comes i had to to know what cyanide meant and you know what i am not sure what it means now because i was so distracted by the massive but it's a mate like i thought that was an amazing thing it made sense like it it, they were so distinct and yet Mm. It made sense. The point of the book, which you figured out, is probably like three fourths, three quarters of the yeah. way through, and one by one you realise, yeah, that they're the same and that she's changed her name. I think it's it was also really clever looking back because the idea of the civilization is that like your world keeps collapsing and you have to rebuild it, and within her life stuff kept wiping her life out and she'd have to rebuild it she had several partners she had some children that died and she gets new children they die it is is like a kind of she is constantly in the fifth fifth season her life life. life is a microcosm yes you know that's a much cleverer way of yeah and that names are so important not just in not just for her and attach the different identities whether she's essen the sort of passing Mm. person in a in in a small village cyanite who has a, a recent graduate of like um you know like a training academy for origins on a journey to do like a big job with her mentor Mm. or like Demaya a teenage girl who is just about to go into a training I'm like yeah yeah they (laughs) they were in the same training camp but there are quite a lot of origins about so you can be forgiven yeah like you're like oh that's just what happens to origins they have to go to a training academy the other things that I liked that I didn't couldn't talk about in the beginning of the podcast I liked the um presence of trans characters that wasn't explicitly like spelled out uh, but was a normal part of the world and that the one of the characters resurfaces in a different part of her life yes who is trans and she has a different name she has Mm. two we meet her with a couple of names too yes and so we realize that and we realize that her story has been in parallel Mm. with um you know the main like cyanide demaya essen yeah and in fact been affecting certain key points in yes. our main characters like, she's been like a hidden influence i on don't really know what her main essence. name is i would i i guess like maybe i mean actually should, should it be her most recent name it or? should be her most recent name to- not tonks but to- 
what is it? Tonky. 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 So yeah, Tonky. <laughs> but like also with Demaya Essen Cyanite, would you say that she should be Essen? Because that is the name that she's been going by most recently. Yeah, I think so. Because yeah. that's I think that she's chosen Essen as like the name that reflects her now. Yes. And all of her things that have happened to her that aren't to do with the trans experience. But again, who like is also just like this interesting thing of like who hasn't felt like several different people in their lives, yes. depending on and like I look back and I'm like, Oh, who was that Lena? Because we don't know her. <laughs> what was she doing? I can't answer for her mistakes. No. And people ask me why I've done some stuff in the past and I'm like, I don't know. That's not me. So yeah. I don't know. I can't tell you why that person did that. So it's interesting where it's like, it's more normalized in that world to have new names. Yeah. And they, and they signify things. And actually, yeah. um, I think they say, because they, they tend to have three names. They have like their first name, which does seem to be linked. I don't know. It seems to fit with the other two names. Like the second, the second name is their use, mm-hmm. their use. Like what did, what is their function? It could yeah. be origin. It could be strong back, which means they're strong. Mm. It could mean innovator, which means they're kind of sciencey. Yeah. Um, or leadership, which means that they're born yeah. to lead. And then the third name is the name of the community that they come of age in, mm. that they're considered to have contributed to. So they get yeah. to sort of choose. They're like, you have been of value. Yeah. Rather and, than a bloodline, yes. you, you're inheriting, like you get some kind of autonomy in your own yes naming yeah you yeah and so like when someone says their names it kind of tells people about them yeah almost everything that they Whereas, might need to know what if you if you're like my name i'm like well all it tells you is that i might have been descended from some people from normandy maybe yeah. oh my god mine, the as well. mine as well oh my god twinsies Veal is like from an old village in normandy apparently. oh really yeah. oh my god maybe, old. maybe we're related it's old who can say it's an old, it's old. Name. It's old. yeah and uh, so i think that's interesting and the other thing i wanted to talk about was the polyamory yes. in the third part the first oh, that's like the most the joyful part of it there's a lovely part near the near the end of the book so um you should you should read it if you haven't but like i i loved when they found this like slight pocket of safety on an island so one of the concepts is that the stillness is the continent where everything's safe they're not really sure if the other if other continents exist because people have basically just stopped using the ocean <laughs> as, as a concept they're just like we're not going near that no, um <laughs> but there are going on. yeah there are some islands where small communities of people live and are safe so in the middle of her life she goes to one of these islands with alabaster hottie and they find a third person that they're both in love with and yeah. they're like that dynamic him in. Is so and then they have fun. a baby and the baby has two fathers and one mother and it's it's lovely and it's um the it's it's the condition of sci-fi and the nature of the novel that it had to end and like it was probably going to be tragic and it was tragic but i'm so glad we got to experience it because yeah, that's it, one of my favorite part of the book i love that part. it suddenly got joyful because so much of it is grave and yeah. serious and painful and and um dark like you know when we were like overviewing like our thoughts on this we, yeah. we were just like it's hard to visualize this mm. it's more like you feel this book you mm. feel textures the stone yeah. the atmosphere um their you know their feelings yeah uh, their emotions like it was i didn't see things like mm. i mean and when they described colors they were like kind of they seem like gray or brown mm. or dusty what i think is that because of the way the world is in this book it is quite hard to see things. Yes. They don't have a lot of visibility. And I was I was struggling as a reader to picture it, but then when you said that, I was like, oh, that's probably why. Like, yeah. it's not that it's badly written or anything. I was just like, as somebody who's not a sci-fi reader, I was like, maybe it's me that I can't create these worlds in my head. Like, I want to no. know what they're wearing because it's probably not what we're wearing. But you're right that it's, like, it's actually fundamentally more of a, like a tactile yeah. novel than it is like a visual one. Yes, yeah. So it is hard to see. But mm. I think that's the point because I think they find I don't think I don't think they're that visually led in mm. the book either. Yeah, um, that's not mm. at the forefront. It sounds it feels like everything yeah. is sort of a bit foggy and covered in dust. Definitely. <laughs> the last thing, spoilery thing I wanted to say was what I thought was interesting is how the book ends, which is um, with Alabaster saying, "Have you heard of a thing called a moon?" Mm. And the whole way through the book, they've seeded this idea that people don't look up at the sky very much because they're so focused on the ground and they don't they the heard earth. they've heard about like ancient civilizations caring about the alignment of stars and the way that stars are presented so like basically alluding to like um astro- astronomy yeah. but they're like we don't care about astronomy anymore because <laughs> they don't understand how the weather works yeah, they're they've very lost that knowledge on the, the, the tectonics yeah and they and they're one of the things that they're missing from the sky is a moon so i'm excited if i do read the other books to hear about them finding the moon yeah <laughs> or like working out what a moon was i thought that was really clever you yeah, know it's very compelling yeah like, to find out what happens 
next in it. Yeah. Like, and that we're a civilization that looks up at the sky so much and talks about God. We're there's, more there's a, interested in the sky than we are. Like, we know more yeah, we're about space obsessed. than we do about the sea. We're obsessed with, I mean, yeah. Jeff Bezos, yeah. classic example, obsessed with space, oh. doesn't Can care really about the Earth. Can you go to space and come back? I was so hopeful. Just stay him, just, yeah, just so leave hopeful. him there. Um, <laughs> so I think, I think that was a really clever, like, that makes me think a lot about how we're obsessed with God and the sky and, and, and that kind of thing. And there's actually an absence of religion in the book, I'd say. Is there any religion in the book? Yeah, they, I mean, they talk about, like, ancient stone lore. Yeah. It seems like there are gods in this world, but they actually are real. Like, it's not yeah. like whether you believe in them or not. Like, no, they, they just I, exist. I think, yeah, there's something to do with, mm. they think they're called stone eaters. Yeah. Two questions to end on okay. that might be related together. That's why I'm asking them together. Okay. Do you have, like, one big takeaway from this book that you're going to come away and be like, I feel differently about the climate or I feel differently about the way I see the world? And would you recommend this book to other people? And if so, who? Like, so, does the, do those, you know, those things might look... So, yeah, this book made me... I think this book made me more aware of, like, power, like, in yeah. oppression mm-hmm. and the way that it interacts with the environment. Mm-hmm. The world was very strange to me. And actually, mm-hmm. that's why I found, like, it was good to reread it twice. Because the first time I was like, what is going on? That's why I Googled. Yeah. I shouldn't have Googled. <laughs> um, <laughs> I understand why you did it. <laughs> but I, yeah, gave into the Googling. Because um, I was so like trying to make sense of the world, and N.K. Jemison doesn't really like hold your hand like into the world. She just throws you in it. But mm. her characters are thrown into the in, into their into their environments as well, and you're just like along for the ride. And you will understand a lot more about it by the end. Trust that. Yeah. You know, the things you're wondering about, the meaning of them actually unravels like the way the society works in the book. Mm. So just just stay with it. Yeah. Um, there's like a part where they talk about language and like I think Alabaster kind of falls silent. She's like, oh, he doesn't have the language to say something. Mm. Maybe one day we will have a language to describe yeah, what we're... Yeah, it's not that he's scared to say it, it's that he can't because he doesn't have the there words. There aren't the words to yeah. go with it. But actually, like, the mm. book is made up of words that mm. kind of put this whole world, this mm. whole strange to us future world together. So yeah, this book made me much more aware of power, reading it. A second time I was able to like focus a bit more on like the human dynamics of mm. it which were really interesting because mm. I think they just subvert expectations mm. I like how she explores gender sexuality relationships mm. trauma all that's like the softness like in the book underneath yeah. all like the hard rocky rusty stuff mm. I would re- recommend people I think this. I'd recommend it I think I wouldn't I'm not somebody who like loves sci-fi and fantasy but in this circumstance i really enjoyed the book and i think that if you are somebody who like knows that they're not going to permanently delve into the world of sci-fi i'm like but read some sci-fi and if you're gonna read some sci-fi or some cli-fi read this yeah i think it's really and, real and, and there's psychologically amorous pirate stuff if you if if, if you keep going sold. <laughs> sold to the woman in the leopard print dress um which is both of us today yeah um but yeah i i agree i think it's 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 quite unique and very unique. it reminded me that I don't think sci-fi is like my genre but yeah. I am also like glad to have read this because it discusses that and I think she's a good writer so what's not to like about good writing it's very grounded it is the very grounded the broken so earth grounded. is so grounded which is yeah also very fitting because it's literally set on ground that yeah. moves all the time thank you for coming on the podcast Sarah it was a pleasure thank you or as always now let's go and chat for another four okay. hours bye <laughs> bye bye <Bye-bye. laughs>